welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Our guest this week is one, Nick Marks. He is a statistician, a workplace happiness expert. We are going to talk about the importance of being happy while you're at work, what that looks like, what, what that means to be happy at your work. Obviously, we all want that. But if you're an employer, you want that. We're going to talk about why it's actually good for your company's bottom line, how to make yourself happier, how to make yourself more independent while you're at work. That is what we have in store for you today. Very excited to bring you that. But first, uh, a couple of quick words from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. Thanks to Rocket Mortgage for making today possible. Here we go with a couple of quick pieces of intelligence before we move on to my, my interview with Nick, uh, with Nick Marks. Hobbyists have rediscovered model trains in the uh, pandemic. For example, the Hornby Model Railways brand recently reported a 33% jump in sales since March, which helped the company turn a profit for the first time. Are you ready for this? In two years. And other popular brands, including Lionel, Bachman, and the Atlas Model Railroad Company. Now, a lot of adults and their kids are finding that they have plenty of extra time, obviously, to build those elaborate train dioramas that we only really see in movies. They fill entire bedrooms, basements, garages, all that stuff. We have time to make those now. So model trains are making a comeback. Get ahead of that for this Christmas. If you or someone you know is planning to take a polar bear plunge this winter, where you swim in ice, you know, ice cold water, scientists say there may be actually a surprising benefit the cold water could protect your brain against dementia. That's according to a new study in the journal Nature. Scientists recently identified a protein in hibernating animals known as the cold shock protein. After studying a group of elite winter swimmers who regularly swam in extreme hypothermic conditions, researchers found that, yes, we can produce the cold shock brain shielding protein. But since it would be dangerous to recommend hypothermic swimming as an actual treatment, scientists are now looking to develop a drug that would do the same thing. In the meantime, if you are going to try to do a plunge in ice cold water, uh, you'll end up producing this protein that's proven to protect your brain. Also, uh, check with your doctor before you go and jump into a an ice cold piece of water, or an ice cold plunge pool. I also recommend cryo. I do uh, those cryo sessions. Big fan. Okay, here we go with my interview with Nick Marks. Nick Marks, uh, founder of of Friday Pulse. Uh, you are a, you call yourself a statistician uh, and happiness researcher, and I'm so excited to talk to you today about how to be happier at work. It makes me very excited. It's great to be here, Gib. Thanks. Uh, so let's let's dive right into this idea of you know you 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 want to you want to use the science of happiness in order to create a happier workplace culture, right? Like that's your that's your overarching goal, correct? That's become my mission in the last five, ten years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I think everybody wants to be happier where we spend most of our days. Like, I think that's, I think that's a great way, a great thing to be. So I think we first have to start with one notion. There's like, there's a lot of people who would say uh, being happy at work is a misguided fool's errand. That that uh, it, work is work, and you can be happy elsewhere, but you need to focus on your work. So, one is how do you measure happiness at work? Because obviously, like a day at work is never going to be quite as fun as a day at the beach. Yeah, I mean, we you can get into lots of nuances about what happiness is precisely, uh, and you can, and I think people get confused about certain types of happiness. Like if you ask people what does happiness mean to you, some people will say contentment, and some will say joy. Mm -hmm. but they're pretty different, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, it's basically an array of positive emotions, you know, that we we're talking about here from, from, you know, uh, joy, curiosity, interest, uh, gratitude, uh, amusement, uh, contentment, um, satisfaction. You can think about all of those things. Now it's, it's, it's both a, a sort of psychological 
mishmash and it's also statistically interesting what you can capture and what you can't and ultimately i think what you want to capture is is work going well or not and the way we talk about that is you say are you happy at work we just colloquially say that so what we do about how we measure happiness is we ask people every week how happy were you at work this week and that's because we have good weeks and we have bad weeks mm-hmm. you know and and in a way sort of happiness has sort of different wavelengths you know you can think about it in a morning you've gone from happy to unhappy you can think about it in a day a week a year a lifetime but if you just define the time frame then people can make a good judgment about how they felt during that period and a week is a really good period to do that because we tend to work in week sprints so that's how we measure it and then by what we mean about it is we really mean things going well and and there's a whole array of positive emotions there so uh, you, you bring up something with that sort of dualistic binary way of doing it and a week to week, which I, I see I see the logic there. But uh, do you get enough measurement of things like uh, some, some people have a great, great week at work, meaning that they met and exceeded all of their sales goals, made a bunch of money. Other people have a great week at work because they have. Uh, a social partner there that they enjoy, who they enjoy spending time with, and they got put on the same shift for for enough days of the week, so it was a good week of work. So, uh, can you, do, does your data that, allow you to pull that out? Well, that, that's all mixed in there. In a sense, you know, happiness is an emotional experience which is located within us, and for some people. Uh, and for some roles, it will be more about the people they work. And for some, it will be about the achievements that they work. But it tends to be all of those things. I mean, like, even if you're in a sales role and you're achieving your goals, if you can't stand your boss and you can't stand your other people, you're not going to feel great. Right. Um, and vice versa, if you love the people, but you're not meeting your goals, then work doesn't feel very good either. So they're really, they're all in there. And, and it's difficult to differentiate between them. But in many ways, you don't need to worry because we do know all sorts of things like, you know, people who have better weeks, you know, one, you know, they're happier so they don't leave jobs. So it's massively linked to retention. Um, they're more creative. They're more productive. So all of these things go with it. And um, and, and also personality types. Some people are more gregarious and the, 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 the sort of fun part of it is more important. Some are more serious and the more sort of intense interest side is more. And that's all OK. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I guess I can appreciate the fact that that there are multi the, the the reasons why you would have a good week at work are myriad, and 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 I guess your 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 sort of your rubric would encompass all of those. But I, um, you you touched on something in there about the relationship between happiness and retention, uh, and I think for some businesses they really emphasize that. Like, uh, I'll give you a great example. We have Costco. Uh, and notoriously treats their employees well and has a notoriously low turnover rate for uh, for what many would perceive to be a very liquid um, uh, labor force where because it's it's largely unskilled. Um, why does it benefit people to have that to, to retain employees like that? So so why one one is obviously the, the cost of recruitment, but two is that um, so particularly if you're customer facing, actually customers really like it if they come back to the same people all the time. So in a Costco, I would imagine that people who go there regularly, they start seeing the same people, they start saying hi to them. It makes them feel more homely, mm. makes them go to Costco rather than another uh, an- a- another chain, you know. So uh, particularly with hospitality uh, hotels, that's really, really important. And uh, other customer faces, if, if you get the same people. So in that way, that's a really important factor. So um, it's really it really good when you've got happier employees you know and and they're more lovely to speak to you know you get more 
retention, you get more repurchasing, you get more word of mouth marketing, even, you know, people are going to recommend you. So those, those, those very human things are very, very important. Um, so, I mean, that's the reason they do it. I know that Costco actually you know, causes some controversy because, you know, some people who are shareholders think they're spending too much on their employees right. and not enough for shareholders. And, and it's an interesting tension, you know, there. And how much do we do we think we should do that? But, you know, Costco tended to do exceptionally well. So I think they have it right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have a few people in my life who who have worked there for you know over a decade, and they the the chances of them, of them leaving are slim to none. So I've seen it like yeah. anecdotally yeah. Uh, how powerful it is for the employees, and I and I and how much more loyal they are then to the company. I mean, I have a friend who works at a particular warehouse, and they get she gets mad at me if if I go to one of the other warehouses, <laughs> even if it's the same brand. She's like, "Why wouldn't you come to mine? We're the best yeah. one." Um, so it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's, it's, it's, it's all tied together with this, with a personal identity associated with the, with the company. And I see why it benefits the employee. Uh, I just was curious, like, you know, why would an employer invest in something like that? And I think you made, you made some, some great, great points there. Um, we talked a little bit about the benefits of being happy at work and why it makes you a better employee. Is there more that you want to say about how the happiness, uh, how being happier at your work actually benefits the bottom line of the company? Am I missing something aside from just retention? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I'm a statistician, so I love like models and mm-hmm. <laughs> equations and correlations and things like that. And we know that uh, that when people feel good at work, they, they sell more, you know, and that's going to be because they're going to have better persuasive conversations. They're going to listen to the prospect on the phone better and actually understand what they want more because they're listening. You know, we've all had those experiences mm-hmm. of being on a sales call where the person isn't listening and they're just trying to sell you something and it just puts you off. Someone starts, um, in fact, if you know uh, Zappos and Tony yeah. Shea, he used to, I know he's, he's just actually just left Zappos, hasn't he? But they had amazing customer service. And he used to say to people, you know, um, on the phone, you know, just do two things, you know, which is, you know, uh, be yourself and use your judgment. And they had this particular thing that they tried to get you to make an emotional connection with the with the with the customer. So they would do things like if you heard a dog barking in the background and you like dogs, you'd go, oh, what's your dog or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or they come from this area that you used to go to college or whatever. You just say something that connects you to them because mm-hmm. all of that increases customer loyalty and whatever. And it's just nicer for the employee on the phone if they're not following a script and they're able to use their intelligence um, and their strengths in real time. So, you know, there's all sorts of ways that it's linked towards sales. So if you're in a more uh, creative or or complex job, then actually uh, positivity is very related to creativity, which is that, you know, if we're in a bad mood, we start to sort of narrow down. We start to focus on, you know, how how we fix the stress. If we're in a good mood, we can see the bigger picture much more. We see how things connect much better. And people are in a a positive mood are much quicker and better at solving lateral thinking problems. Psychologists give them experiments. Um, There's a very famous one called the Dunker Candle Experiment. Do you know that? No. Um, So people are given some, uh, some matches, a box of tacks, and a candle. And they're asked to attach the candle to the wall and light it in such a way that when you light it, the wax doesn't drip on the floor. Okay. And it's a sort of brain mess because what you have to notice is the box of tacks and you take the tacks and you empty them out and you put the box on the wall and you put the candle in it. And once you've solved it, it's really straightforward. But when you see it the first time, you you don't necessarily see the box because you're not told about it, but it is there. Right. Now what they find is that if people uh, are just in, they have a control group, they don't do anything. Uh, I'm not going to get the fizz exactly right, but this is roughly right. About 12% of them solve it in five minutes. If you if you if you make people in a bad mood, 
about 20% of them solve it. That's kind of interesting if you sort of scare people or annoy them. Well, because actually all emotions are energy. And so basically when you're, when you're in a negative mood, you are agitated, you've got more energy than if you're just passive. But if you put people in a positive mood, 75% of them solve it in that five minutes. And so they're much, much more creative. And so mm. if, you're, if, you, if you've got a job or a team that's, that needs to be innovative, then having positive bonds between them is really important. It's why Amy Edmondson talks about psychological safety, that you have to have those sort of things like uh, those the relationships in a team are good because they're very, very related to that. So it's, it's exceptionally related not only to retention, to sales, but to innovation and creativity. And everybody at the moment has to be really creative and innovative in how we're working and what we're doing. So um, it, they're very, very important things. Yeah, I mean, I, I've experienced some of that anecdotally. Like when I'm stressed, I, I find that my reading comprehension goes down, my ability, to, yep. like all the things you talked about. But that, again, that's that's anecdotal. Um, but it's interesting to know that that's that that's the case. And which which was actually which kind of answers what I really wanted. Uh, another thing I want to talk about, which is, um, you know, so many people say work is work. We talked. I mentioned this at the beginning. You don't need to be happy at work. You need to be happy at home. And we're and 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 like let's not go with this frou-frou idea that every day at work needs to be a joyous thing but what you're saying is you're better when you're happier if you enjoy your work you're better at it no matter what that work is yeah and and again it's about the different types of happiness i mean you know you're not looking for romantic love at work or most people aren't anyway you know so your relationship at home the intimacy of it is going to be very different than at work yeah but you can actually if you work with people after a long time you really care about them and you really can get some of that platonic love going Mm -hmm. um but then there's also there are actually some parts of positive emotions which are not good for us cognitively so particularly amusement and laughter right when we're in that jokey mode, we actually turn down our cognitive functioning, okay? And oh, in, wow. in a sense, this, this makes sense in that we're trying to bond with other people. We're not, it doesn't pay us to show our most intellectually engaging part. We actually want to belong in the group, so we turn that down. And I think that's why some people get worried about it. They think that, you know, there's that sort of silly happiness. And, and there's, a, there's a space for that at work, but maybe it's only 5% of the time. It's mm-hmm. a good thing for bonding, but it's not a great thing for problem solving. Right. Uh, so, uh, just you from know, a retail work. perspective, if you're waiting in line to order ice cream and the people are joking behind the counter and the line keeps building up, uh, yeah, you want them to be enjoying themselves and have fun. But you start to resent them as a customer when you're like, hey, guys, a little less jokey, a yeah. little more scoopy. <laughs> I mean, that's a, we are at work. We are getting paid. There is yeah. a contract there. You know? so yeah. It's about so it's, it's going to be a different experience, happiness at work than it is in your relationship or with your kids or with your friends, you know, but they're all forms of that positivity. And it's about having that appropriate uh, amount, that appropriate happiness at work. Mm-hmm. So how can employers begin to uh, get that right kind of happiness? So if, if we if we go off of the assumption that we've established so far that happiness at work is possible, <laughs> measurable. And that it, it has a net benefit as long as you don't get into that silly happiness area, that, that being satisfied, content, and joyous while you're working has a net benefit to the bottom line. How do you begin to uh, create that environment for your employees? How do you begin to, to get that right kind of happiness um, you know, that, that, that brings the most intrinsic value? Yeah, so we've done a lot of research on this and about like what are the key drivers of, mm-hmm. of, of positivity and happiness experience at work. And basically we come up with five um, and it's about how you operationalize those. So the first one is connect, which is relationships are really critical. You know, if your relationships aren't good at work, then um, you, you're not really going to get there. And we're very social creatures and happiness is 
almost a social emotion. It's sort of between us a lot rather than within us, you could almost say. Yeah. So connect is the first one. The second one is to be fair. If systems aren't fair, if processes aren't fair, if you don't feel respected, you don't feel appreciated, you don't feel fairly paid, you're not going to get into the space of happiness. Sure. You're just going to have that resentment around. The third one is we, is we call empower, which is sort of autonomy. Daniel Pink will call it autonomy and drive uh, in his book. But, you know, basically it's about being able to be yourself. It's about being able to shape your work, to use your judgment, use your strengths. The fourth is challenge, which is that we actually like to learn. We like to be stretched. We like to be creative. And then the final one is inspire, you know, which is sort of meaning, purpose, being something bigger. I mean, you can sort of see Maslow in this. This is not new science. Right. It's just basically trying to frame it in a way that's easy. So connect, be fair, empower, challenge, inspire. And if you're a team leader or you run just an real organization, fast, about, real fast, just yeah. for anybody wondering, Maslow is the psychologist who came up with the hierarchy of needs that as you yep. as you cover certain needs like uh, food and then shelter, uh, then you begin to get uh, up to higher levels of fulfillment where you have to feel emotional security and safety uh, part of a network. And then you finally can become self-actualized. It's a hierarchy of needs. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, he he's famous for the hierarchy of needs. Even Maslow at the end of his career took down the hierarchy and said these are really interconnected in the sense you can mm. have meaning and purpose even if you're you know on the edge of poverty you know it's not that you can't you you can't have these things obviously uh you know not having food security kills you quicker than not having some sort of sense of purpose but they all can and we can die of a broken heart you know a lack of belonging so it's very interconnected but yes absolutely there there's some physical hierarchy to it but i think of them as much more all being equal together yeah mm. mm-hmm so you're sorry, sorry. Let's go back to what you're talking about relative to Maslow. So you so you begin to achieve these needs um, at, at work, and 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 that happiness kind of works interconnectedly for for us to create these environments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you've got a job, you know, maybe some of those are going well and some aren't. And in fact, we're just um, creating a tool which we're calling Friday Friday One. So we're called Friday Pulse, but this is Friday One because it's for individuals. It's 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 a free tool. It's not like something we're trying to. We're not never trying to market to individuals. We're always what working with teams or organizations but right. you can just go uh, to friday1.com and you can do a checkup about how you're doing on those five ways in your current job and it can just help you reflect on what's going well for you and what isn't because sometimes it's quite difficult we sort of got a sensation that it's not quite right but we don't quite really know what it is and so mm-hmm. it's, it's all i'm very into creating reflective tools and when, when i was young i i you know i'm now in my 50s but i trained as a therapist when i was young a psychotherapist and so and the whole psychotherapeutic technique is really to you know listen and reflect and you know, make better decisions and all of my statistical tools i design in the same way that they're basically listening to people they're helping them reflect on what's going on either individually or collectively and they're helping them act better and 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 that's the way I think of how you create a useful uh, you know useful product is that you create something people can learn for from themselves you know they become the agents of their own change. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's so much to there's there's, there's so much to un- unpack in there. But like, yeah, to your point, the 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 more self actualized you feel, the more we can, and that's a lot. What you're what you're talking about at sort of at an organizational level or a large scale level is the the benefits of talk therapy right where you feel like you feel a safe place to belong to be a part of that to just be even having an outlet for for how you're feeling is is key there and i'm I'm glad to hear because i was actually going to ask this next uh are there things that we as individuals can do as a, if we're not organizational leaders in order to do that so that you're saying that that would be pulse one would be the place to go as an individual in order to get that 
Yeah, Friday one. I mean, you, Friday you one, can sorry. do that. And it, I mean, we are we are all um, agents in our own life. We have a sense of agency, even, mm-hmm. even when we are living in systems that aren't exactly of our choosing and they're not perfect. We still have some agency. And that's not to say that people should make bad systems. I think you should create great systems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even within a system which isn't perfect, you can do things yourself and you can choose uh, not necessarily easily because we're very shaped by systems, but you can choose and make changes. And sometimes, you know, we have to leave systems. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's sometimes right to leave a relationship. It's sometimes right to leave an organization. Um, you know, so, you know, that's a valid choice too. You know, uh, you, you kind of have mentioned it in some of the cases that you've brought up, but like Zappos, for example, the Zappos customer service situation you were describing is a situation in which agency is not only a part of it, but it's it's encouraged and rewarded and... Uh, baked into the culture where each individual has their agency. And that, again, I think goes back to Maslow as well, where you feel like you have control, more control over the outcome, and you're not just a cog in a wheel, you end up actually generating better outcomes. Absolutely, certainly. I mean, none of us like to be micromanaged and just told what to do all the time. There's sometimes that's a learning process and it is, if it's set in the context of a learning process, that's good. But if it isn't, then, you know, it's, it's no good. I mean, you know, even, you know, there's even studies showing that if you allow van drivers some choice about where, you know, where, what they do or how they deliver stuff, they're happier. Now that doesn't mean they're more efficient and get them more time, but you know, there are, there are jobs where that's more difficult than others. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, we like to be able to shape what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think again it leads you to leads you to make better choices. You have a great uh, thing, a great resource for for team leaders and businesses on on the Friday Pulse website where you can put in a certain a number of basic calculations and figure out how much product productivity is lost uh, because of because of emotional uh, because of emotional issues and and not collaborating well in person right now. Um, which I think is a great tool for people to 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 check out if you are a team leader or you do run a business. Um, again, that's at FridayPulse.com. My uh, my question is sort of relates to this, which is, uh, you know, you talk about this importance of of agency, but also the importance of social interconnectedness that occurs while you're working. How and you guys are back on lockdown in the UK, uh, back on a full lockdown. How much is that impacting? The happiness of people uh, at work, or 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 is it sort of, is it a net, is it a is it a wash because some of the net benefits are um, are, uh, are uh, counteract the fact that we're not interconnected. Well, because we measure weekly happiness across all of our clients, we actually just saw the effect of COVID hitting, and in fact, it hit North America and Europe at the same time. Really, mm-hmm. it was in the middle of March, you know, and. Um, and we just had this huge crash. So we normally go along. We, we we create an index. We call it happiness KPI for our clients. It runs between 0 to 100. But basically, 70 is about the average. Um, 69.6, to be very precise. But anyway, it's going along. And March comes, and it absolutely plummets to below 50. And, um, and then it's a slow climb back over the next three, four months as we started to figure out how to work from home. All those changes. There was obviously lots of redundancies in the US. We had a system called furloughing in the UK where people stopped coming to work. Um, you know, so th- and there's been a big adjustment. I mean, you know, HR departments have had a really difficult year. I mean, a nightmare year. Um, and um, so, so we can see that happening. But we also, we also do what we call a culture profile, which is 15 questions around those five ways. So the Friday one is effectively an individual version of what we do as a culture profile for an organization. So we've been measuring those three times. And what we found is that some of those variables have gone up and some have gone down. So the ones that have gone up are things like influence decision, uh, creativity, um, 
Well, the ones that have gone down are team relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, work-life balance has gone down because I think suddenly working from home for a lot of people, you know, that although there's no commute, there's no um, shift. You know, we shift persona right. when we go to work. Right. Yeah, you know, and the car, commute, the car gives you that time to make that shift. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we, I mean, you know, I don't actually particularly put a jacket on tie on, but we used to do that. You mm-hmm. know, we used to put on our armor to go to work. And in fact, I spoke to this one guy and, and, uh, you know, he, and you're in the UK really where the small... shoot, the suits are very fitted. So, you know, it's a, it really is an uncomfortable <laughs> thing to put that on. Well, it's, it's colder too, so they keep you warm <laughs> as well. But, but, um, but I speak to this one guy and he's got a six year old and, you know, he's, he's a really smart business guy. And he would come into the kitchen. She was being homeschooled and he was in work persona and she was going, you're not my daddy. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, because maybe she was four. I don't know. She was young. But she basically he was a different human being to her than mm-hmm. the soft father who plays with her because he's coming in. He's probably a bit stressed. He's thinking he's distracted. He's not her father, you know, and, and that's really, really difficult when you're moving just between. A, and, and, and I think so. I think stress has gone up um, for, for some people. Yeah. And. You know, a lot of people had kids kids at home. Have you got kids? Um, I, I do, uh, and 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 I've had I've I've sort of switched. At first, I was very stressed out trying to manage work and trying to manage the kids and getting them in online schooling and and uh, the synchronous and asynchronous learning, all that stuff. Um, and now I have set up a I've set up a an office out in my garage, so like I have a I have a walk to go from yes. work mode to home mode. Uh, yeah. and that walk is that even that physical separation goes a long way and I've switched to trying to really enjoy and using that, using that walk to do it, that I get to see my children way more than I ordinarily do. And just trying to relish that, trying to say like, yeah. I, I don't, I normally don't get to have lunch with my kids every day and guess yeah. what? Now I do. Yeah. And so that's a good, yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's probably took your time to come to that, but I mean that's that's brilliant. And of course, you know, we're probably the lucky ones that we've actually got the physical space that so we can do some mm-hmm. of that. There are some people, you know, where they don't actually have that physical space and right. they've had to be working at home, and it's very. So there's been a lot of stress around, and there's been a huge variability in experience. I mean, my kids have left home. Uh, I've got one of my stepchildren. She's been around, but she's actually a dream. She's the easiest of all six kids that we've got between me and my my wife. <laughs> uh, she's six. got three, and I've got three. But it's like, uh, but you know. If you, if you, if you, but even when she's around and, and, and there was a time when her brother was around as well, you know, that just having them in the presence in the house affects you, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. To, it's a difficult thing. And some people have got that the whole time and trying to teach them or whatever, you know, so some of my team have been driven up the wall, you know, yes. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah, yeah. Very variable experiences that people have had. So, uh, you know, that's people with families. There's also people who are, who don't have families and are particularly alone right now. With not with not a lot of ups, unless you're an extreme introvert, this has been a lot of being completely unplugged from other people. Like you and I just talked about the benefits and the hardship of being around uh, individuals that we that are close to us emotionally while we're trying to deal with a new working paradigm. Uh, but there's also there's also people that are completely alone right now, uh, which I got to imagine is influencing their happiness. Yeah, one of my team, she lives alone and. She actually bought herself an apartment about two years ago, and she was really pleased to have her own apartment. But, you know, in lockdown, you know, she had weeks without seeing anybody, right. without, without touching anybody. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, hard. touch, you know, you know, touch is really important to us humans. You know, we are very tactile creatures. 
and I think you know she said to me she had she had like eight weeks without touching anybody. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And she's tactile. I mean, she might be on her own. She's not in a relationship at the moment, but she's not a not tactile person just because she doesn't happen to be in a relationship right. at the moment. Yeah. Right. So how do you how do you as a leader begin to maximize the happiness of your team for the for the greatest net benefit when you're when you are separated like that? And is there any statistical that, you know, information that would lend should light on that? I think I think that you know working from home and people doing things like you know Skypes and Zooms and Microsoft Teams and all these other mm-hmm. ways we communicate people. At least we at least we've got video actually that does make a big difference. But but you know we in my team we do an awful, we did an awful lot of stand ups you know where we just in the morning we'd always take ten minutes. We've actually do them less now than we did you know at the beginning of lockdown. But you know we'd always be asking how each other were. We try and do that. Try and recreate that. We actually learned that we couldn't have 10 of us on a call. It was much better to have four or five mm. if you really want to have some sort of space. And there's actually a psychological reason for that. It's called mentalizing. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's something that toddlers learn. It's, it's a pre-empathy compassion step where we put ourselves in another person's mind. And there is actually a strict limit to how many people we can do that with. Mm. So if you th- if you think that when we're back at a sort of having a party and maybe there are four of you having a chat and then two other people join, very rapidly, that was split into two groups of three. Yeah, it, yeah. You can't hold the six, okay? And you can't do that on a Zoom. Don't have a Zoom with more than four or five people on it if you want to have involve everybody. If you're doing time sharing, you're doing a one-to-many, or you're going around and you're saying, what do mm. you think, what do you think? That's fine, but you've got to facilitate it very strictly. Sure. Three, four on a Zoom, you know, you can you can have a free-flowing conversation. Interesting. Well, that's that's a, that's really good, actionable advice for people out there. I mean, I think, I think that's... Um... Yeah, that's that's and what I like about that is you give us the statistical truth, and then I I reflect anecdotally, and it's so accurate. Like I'm thinking yeah. of dinner parties, I'm thinking of of social interactions at, at conventions and stuff, where and how people group up. It's 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 fascinating. Uh, there's, there's even a fascinating thing that Shakespeare in his plays he doesn't have a conversation with more than four active people in it ever. Wow. He always keeps it to four. And in fact, if they're talking about another person, he keeps it to three in all across his plays. That's that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> wow. And I, I, wow. And I think about, you know, uh, even now, some of these television shows, these big ensemble television shows, you know, each plot usually centers on two or three characters going off on a yep. side journey. Uh, and then and like, you know, like the classic Seinfeld the four of them together would only bookend the show. It was very rarely that they would have an adventure of the four of them all together all the time. It was usually the bookend. It was one character's adventure or two characters' adventure, and then they'd yeah. come together as a bookend. So you, it's crazy to see how... Why, I mean, it's crazy to understand more why... Or I, mean, I guess we don't really fully understand the, the psychological underpinnings for that, but to see how pervasive it is and how much we've internalized that notion is pretty is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you see us using the modeling that you've done to going forward? Like, how do we is do is does every company need to be as well financed as Google, where they can afford to lose so much money on on campus life? Uh, and then and then by the way, now for those companies where they where their big primary investment in culture was in creating campus life for being a continuation of college for some people. Remote learning has, or remote uh, work, distance work has really thrown a wrench in that. Like, there's no sense totally. of campus. So, so how do companies that aren't as well funded in terms of margin as Google begin to do that? So basically, it's it's actually a, it's a no cost thing in many ways. In fact, there's a massive return investment, and that calculator that you mentioned earlier gives you an illustration of it. And I, I would 
pretty strongly claim it's at least a five-time return on investment. All it needs, okay, and you, you, uh, this is how our product is designed, but you don't have to use our product to do, to do this because it's actually it's built in there. But basically, it's every week as a team, so your 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 four or five people, maybe up to ten, is just spend twenty minutes going, what went well last week, what didn't, how can we improve it, and in building that over time. So a bit like a retrospective, tech teams do this in their work, they basically reflect back what's gone well, but you're doing it about how you've worked together, or how your work's gone. And you just take that 10, 20 minutes every week to have a collective reflection and you will build that over time. And so we've designed our product to do that, which is on a Friday, we ask you, you know, how happy were you are? And we ask a few other things like, what's the success? Do you want to thank anybody, any frustrations? You then bring that data to the Monday morning meeting and you have a chat about it. And then you try and make this week a bit better. And it's just doing it every week. It's little and often. That's how you basically create this. And it doesn't cost you anything. But it does. It costs you half an hour a week, which, okay, that has, that has a time cost. So you can cost that. And if you do cost it and you, and you cost in all the increase in productivity collaboration, it's a five-time return investment over mm. a year for that half mm. an hour a week. Uh, and I, I'm imagining that's why the website is FridayPulse.com because you're taking the pulse every Friday and then using it to evaluate it subsequent week. <laughs> you got us. <laughs> and what a great way to put a button on this whole thing. So FridayPulse.com is the website uh, if you're a team leader. And then uh, Friday One is if you're an individual that wants to, to learn more. I'll put a link to both of those websites in the show notes for people to follow up. Uh, uh, one other thing, Nick, or two, more, two other things. One is where else would you like people to follow up or is, is that the best place? Yeah, so that's that. Uh, you can get me on LinkedIn. I'm Nick without a K, and I see marks, and I'm I'm very responsive on LinkedIn. Friday I'll put a Pulse link. Actually... I'll put a link to your LinkedIn <laughs> link to your LinkedIn Thank in you. the show notes for people if they just want to click on that and get to know Nick. Uh, Friday Pulse is free to use for three months for any organization uh, to come and try it. We do know it's new data and a new thing, so come and try it, and we'll wow you, and then hopefully you'll become a paying client. So that's that's my offer as well. Three months is an eternity for a free piece of software as a service. So check that out again. Uh, again, FridayPulse.com and uh, FridayOne.com in links in the show notes. Uh, one last thing, and I ask it to everybody, Nick. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Oh, so the best thing and the most evidence for is at the end of every day to just sit down and think about three good things that have happened today or mm. three things you're grateful about. We've got so much negative news around, so much negativity around. It's hard to focus on the positive. So for yourself, just sit down every day and think about what's gone well and just try and focus on the positive a bit more. It's quite hard sometimes, but that's what we need to do. Yeah. I mean, I, the, you know, you, you, you say that, and, and I know you look at the, at the data. The research on, on a, what I would call that a gratefulness practice, whether you yep. bookend the day with gratefulness or you do a, ref, a grateful reflection at any point during the day, uh, the, the research on that is, is it's, it's, it's mind blowing how much that does for your, for your brain, for your, your outlook and, and for your life. Yeah. I mean, and the only other thing that's really got that sort of effect is, is exercise, which is walking and moving your body. Mm -hmm. That's massively happiness and mood. Yeah. You know, don't slouch all day. Don't, you know, get up, move, stretch. Walk. You don't have to do the totally sweaty exercise, which is good for someone like me who's not the, not exactly a gym bunny. But it, it, movement is massively good for, for, for it. Yeah. 
It is even little things like standing a little bit more per hour than you do currently will yeah. make will make a difference. Uh, and I, I found that I found that two things. One is the more grateful uh, I mindfully grateful I am, the more subconsciously grateful I become, and the happier I become minute to minute. And the more I move my body, the more I enjoy moving my body, and the more I tend to continue to move my body. So and I make better food yeah. decisions. Both of those things are are inexorably linked to good decisions going forward for me. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Again, links thank to all you. the ways to follow up with him in the show notes. We really, really appreciate you being a part of this. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out so much. So please go ahead and do that. John is on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh. We spend most of our time there. I am Gib Girard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Girard. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Gib Girard. You can find me there. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Please mention, rate, comment, uh, send me a DM. I'm always happy to, to hear about people, how they're listening to the show. I really appreciate you guys because uh, I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.